transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack, and I'm here with Manny. Uh, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Feeling good. How's uh, how's your week been? It's been all right. Uh, settled in for this FA Cup third round. Always a, a you know a fun weekend on the calendar. Way to change it up. Mm-hmm. Didn't end up being too fun for me, which we'll get <laughs> to. But you know, how did you enjoy the games overall? Did you watch some League Two outfits go to work? Um. I try to just keep an, uh, an eye out for the results, really, and then tune in with some highlights because there's just so many games and you kind of just think a lot of the bigger teams will just get the standard, you know, uh, standard win. But the upsets are always good to look out for. Um, I mean, you saw Maidenstone do quite well. Yeah, six-tier Maidstone United overcomes Stevenage, who mm-hmm. are not exactly a, a giant of the English <laughs> game, but it's still, it's still a fun Fun one to look at, but of course there were two actual giants involved, although one may be losing their status, <laughs> the one that I happen to support. Uh, Arsenal hosted Liverpool at the Emirates Stadium, uh, and it ended 2-0 to Liverpool, which may not quite tell the whole story of no. the match, but I think it tells the story of Arsenal's very poor uh, form over the, the festive period. Um, a ton of chances missed, a ton of possession squandered and, and territorial advantage squandered, particularly through the first 60 minutes or so. Yeah. You know, what jumped out at you uh, about that result? Uh, just poor quality uh, in finishing for Arsenal. And there was a varied number of chances for different players. It didn't all just fall to to Havertz or, or to Nelson. You know, Saka has some opportunities. Uh, it, it just looked a bit... A bit, yeah, lack of qualities is the main thing. And to be honest with you, the players that were on the bench, they didn't really scream out at you to for you to get the confidence that you think you'll get a goal. Jesus, we know, is not the most clinical striker either. So even if he was playing, you know, you may convert him one or two of those chances, but that's a big if. Um, and I just think, again, Liverpool's firing power um, overwonder the game for them. And I, just, I think they were, they were quite poor in the first half. Uh, Arsenal completely dominated. Um, but those two things I did like was um, the performance from Reese Nelson. I think he, he showed that you know he does deserve a bit of a run out. Uh, I thought he did well on the left there, um, had a couple of opportunities himself. And I also liked Odegaard playing a bit further forward as well. So with the base of Jorginho and Rice, it did give him the platform to be a bit, a bit closer to Saka, a bit closer to Havertz. And you saw that in the amount of chances you guys created in the game as opposed to the past you know, couple of games in, in the league. So that's something I think Arteta needs to potentially look at and think, how can we get the best out of this side creatively? And that is probably Havertz as close to the, to the penalty area as possible. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I love seeing Odegaard back closer to the positions he was taking up last season when we were really playing great stuff. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jorginho came into the team and sat in there alongside Declan Rice. I think Declan Rice needs someone to partner him who is more of a ball progressor, somebody who's yeah. going to break the lines and break any press that comes onto us, but also just is looking for that, has his head up looking for that longer pass. Mm. 
Uh, and that allows Odegaard to do his combination play with Saka um, to some extent with Kai Havertz, although we'll, we'll come on to his uh, performance. But I really am, have been discouraged by the last few weeks. Um, I've said before, if not on the match report, uh, then in my other communications, that I've, I'm getting a bit of a late Wenger vibe from this outfit at the moment where there's a ton of possession. You play some pretty stuff. Yeah. You sometimes end up playing with your food in the box a little bit. Mm. Uh, and the you don't score when you're on top. And in this, in the Premier League, in the Champions League, when we go back into that competition, we have more ferocious competition than we did in the group stage. And even in the FA Cup against a team like Liverpool, and a team like in Liverpool that I don't think really came to win this game in the way they yeah. would have if this was a Premier League match. Yeah. If you don't take your chances, you will be punished. And I, you know, I was so relieved not to see Diogo Jota on, uh, you know, the team sheet the, the in the starting lineup for Liverpool. But as soon as 70 minutes or 75, whenever he came on, whenever uh, Jurgen Klopp, he must have been laughing on the sidelines, having sort of half-assed this game for the for yeah. the first half and been dominated. It's nil-nil. He's like, all right, we're going to go and win the game now. I'm going to put on, you know, maybe Jota, he has some injury concerns over, didn't want to play him 90 minutes here with more important stuff coming up. Mm. He's like, all right, I'll put him on now. We'll go and win the game because you guys refuse to to win the game. You refuse to take your chances. As you say, Bukayo Saka had a, you know, a difficult uh, chance and sort of a karate kick uh, volley that maybe Gabriel should have put his head on that cross from Kai Havertz. Saka had another chance with the goalkeeper all at sea and Liverpool all stretched out their whole defense all out of whack to find Martin Odegaard at the you know top of the six-yard box, put it away. He fluffed it out of bounds. And Gabriel Martinelli was not inspiring when he came on, despite roasting uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold a few times. You know, he got bailed out by Kanate, Ibrahima Kanate, the center back. And, you know, his final ball is not good enough either. it's it's incredibly frustrating it's it's either somebody's missing a presentable chance or somebody is in a good position to play the final ball and create a chance and instead we play with our food we want our intricate combination play or it's just a poor ball for Martinelli I mean how many times has Martinelli picked somebody out in a red shirt or in this case a a white shirt shirt. don't yeah no more knife crime shirt uh and found a teammate who who can, you know, score. He he just has not been picking people out. Do you think what's happening this season is Arsenal playing at the right level and last season was a lot of overperformance and some of the players just playing at the top of their level for such a long period of time. So there can't be this drop in quality so much. Or do you think it's a confidence thing? Like there needs to be something that's changed the fortunes because last season, you know, Martin, not only was he beating players, he was a goal threat, you know, he had double figures in goals, um, Saka the same. Um, but what was an interesting stat is in the same, you know, one similar amount of games that Lacazette has got, um, Jesus, Lacazette's got more goals. And that's, that's really worrying. Yeah, that, I mean, that is damning. I will say that in the, you know, in the beginning of his tenure, Lacazette was a pretty dependable goal scorer. Mm-hmm. It was sort of towards the end when Thank he and Aubameyang so. went off the boil. There's yeah. a bit of revisionist history these days. Too. You know, I saw it today. First of all, I'm seeing people calling for the manager to be sacked today. It's and it's, you know, there's a lot of reactionary stuff out there. <laughs> people saying, oh, this started when he got rid of Obama Yang, all this mumbo jumbo. But yeah, I, I think, you know, Jesus, 
there's big questions about whether he's that player and whether we need that player. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Kai Havertz is not playing like the clinical finisher that we were hoping we could revive in him. Mm-hmm. Eddie Nketiah is not at the level, in my opinion. I've never really believed he's at the level. Uh, so, yeah, there's a hole in our squad. I will say that Gabriel Jesus is a better footballer than any striker we've had in quite some time. Yeah. And also, if you look at his Champions League record, it is formidable. Yeah, uh, Gabriel Jesus, and granted, a lot of these goals are scored in, in those Man City teams where, you know, he's he getting chances for fun. They're creating chances everywhere. Yeah, But he, he has a phenomenal record in that competition. His Premier League record has just never been all that great. Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, there's some regression to the mean. I think that there's a lot of failure to adapt to how teams have adapted to the Arsenal mm. last season, particularly in the first half. Maybe people were slow to see how effective Arsenal were, especially in those transitions, getting the ball forward to the wingers very quickly for one-on-ones. So now people sit in and they always double up Bukayo Saka and, and uh, Gabriel Martinelli. And the manager has failed to adapt his tactics. I think actually he did tweak some things today. Uh, and that, you know, you saw some of the effective passing patterns, particularly when you get the ball to Martin Odegaard higher up the pitch. And he can combine with Bukayo Saka so Saka can run inside. Yeah. And suddenly he's in on the back four. He's running at a center back who wants no part of this. That's, you need, he gets on a sort of a wheel route, they would call it in, in NFL football to get okay. away from the fullback and get away from the defensive scheme that's been set up to contain him. Okay. But I think overall the managers failed to adapt to these low blocks. And, you know, today I think we were better in transition than we've been in terms of snuffing out some of Liverpool's stuff. Oh. But we're not, you know, as much as we've controlled games, that's been the, you the know, the catch-all na- narrative around Arsenal. But I don't feel like we've controlled games in transition as well as last season. And you saw it again here. Liverpool obviously are the most along with City, the most dangerous team on the break. But there were a few times where they absolutely cut us open, even with Declan Rice trying to cover all that ground. Yeah, and I think you're right in saying that um, Klopp must have been thinking, you know, counting his lucky stars that at halftime it was nil-nil. And then, you know, within the first 15 minutes of the second half, he changes things, puts Nunes out, out wide, brings on Jota and uh, Gravenberch, and he says to them, go out and win this game. And, you know, it was a complete reversal of of the first half where, you know, at every every break, Liverpool looked like they could score. Um, I thought, again, Ben White had a poor game defensively. Uh, 1v1 defending, I, I think, is where he struggles the most, running back towards goal um, against tricky wingers or against pace. And if it wasn't for the lack of quality in, in finishing from Nunes or that, that bit of quality in the final third for the right decision-making and pass, there could have been more goals for Liverpool, to be honest. Um and yeah, it was a really smart finish, I thought, from from Diaz uh, for the second goal. But yeah, it, it looked like Liverpool just assumed they shifted another gear. The, the game the game was theirs. Um, and I think they both realised, both teams realised they didn't want to have a replay and add another game in, into the congestion fixture. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, Arsenal have got an opportunity this, this January transfer window to do something. Uh, it's very difficult to get value for money in January, um, but it, it, the the league could really slip away. And although this is an FA Cup game, these kind of performances can lead into the Champions League, Premier League games, um, and teams do, do look like they're starting to suss out Arsenal a little bit. And 
the tran- in transition has looked like the best chance of getting goals and getting a result against Arsenal. Yeah, you're right to point out. Darwin Nunez was, I was convinced from early on in this match that it was going to be another edition of the match report curse, or I guess the blessing, where any time that we slag somebody off, they instantly become a world beater. I, I almost knew that he was going to score against Arsenal, but he once again missed a, a couple presentable yeah. opportunities. Um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's not, I don't think we're going to find the player in January. I think the manager has to get his arms around this situation. Yeah. Uh, and I think the first thing to do would be to give Jorginho a run of games alongside Declan Rice, change the shape of the midfield a bit, un- unless Thomas Partey's going to come back. I mean, that's the other, that's the biggest difference between this season and last season. Yeah, Thomas Partey isn't playing. And he, I've said it before on the match report, Thomas Partey is closer to Andrea Pirlo than he is, you know, Patrick Vieira or, or some midfield destroyer. I mean, he's a deep playmaker. Yeah. And we're missing that. We're missing that. It doesn't help that Ben White, as you say, has been in poor form. Even on the ball, I think he's been on, in poor form. Saliba is trying to hold together the, that whole, you know, right yeah, uh, back behind. quadrant, you might call yeah. call it. He's trying to hold together that entire thing with his sheer class. Where I don't know, Also, I don't know if you saw, he went in for the sliding tackle in the box, perfectly timed on Darwin Nunez. And while he still has one knee on the ground, he sticks one leg out and plays pings a ball right into a, a midfielder on the correct foot, the so that when yeah. they're under pressure, they can take it and turn. Incredible player, yeah. And I think he and and Aaron Ramsdale had great games today. And it shouldn't, you know, as even as we pick the carcass uh, of this game, I think those two deserve a bit of love. Yeah, for me, I've always been a Ramsdale fan over Raya personally. Um, and I, and I think that he had a good game. He, he reminded the manager, the fans, the rest of the squad that there is a dependable goalkeeper there. Um, his distribution was good. He made a couple of good smart saves. It was a great save um, from Diaz in the second half, low down to his right that he made. Um, but yeah, I, I thought him and, and Saliba were, were solid. Uh, I thought uh, Gabriel tried to get in a few battles. He lost a lot of headers. Uh, in this game, quite a few flick-ons were from from his side, um, and Kiel, unfortunately, he I don't think he had a terrible game, but you know that own goal um, was unfortunate to go against him. Uh, but yeah, like, like you mentioned earlier, I think Partey is a big miss. Um, a partnership with him and Rice, I think, probably was the vision that Arteta had at the beginning of the season with Timber as an inverted um, inverted fullback as well, who has athleticism as well as the. Uh, the technical ability to play there, uh, I think you'd start ahead of Zinchenko. But yeah, uh, I think squad management is is the issue and, and the key thing that Arteta needs to look at because bringing on Trossard and Smith-Rowe in the last five minutes, I think, in the game, it's not going to do anything for you. You know, um, Smith-Rowe is not getting another run out. I don't know why that's happening. Um, Martinelli not starting, I thought that was fair. But when he did come on, again, flattered to deceive. That that end product was poor, so yeah, Arsenal need to need to get their head, you know, their, their game together, their heads together, and I think it does need to come within the squad and and through the right management uh, from Arteta because it, it's not looking good, and the rest of the rest of the league are looking, I think, will get a bit stronger. City are gonna get stronger. They've got some of their players coming back. Um, Liverpool, you know, they've got great options. Even with Salah missing for the Afcon, they've still got firepower in their ranks that will get them the, those wins. So, 
it, it could change very quickly the top of the table the next couple of months. Yeah, I think Ramsdale is an example of the fact that it's not all about technical quality. Sometimes it is about personalities and relationships and character. Not to say that David Riot doesn't have personality and character, but Ramsdale was, you know, a major figure in the dressing room. And I don't know if he still is. He was a major force, even though he made some mistakes. Raya makes some mistakes. And I just don't, you know, people talk about the, the silly interviews Ramsdale's given about, fit, you know, he can't concentrate during the I matches. Didn't. Obviously, I don't want to see him out there <laughs> telling that to Ian Wright. But he also makes these saves that, you know, are world class. I mean, yeah. today, even to get down to that Luis Diaz low strike was impressive. And I, I just think we underrate these things at our peril, what he means in the dressing room. Mm. Obviously, we can't say that that's caused you know, disruption in the ranks, but I worry about these things. And I worry, you know, I worry about Kivior at left back <laughs> and I worry about the whole left side of the team. Some, it needs to be sorted out. The, the, the manager needs to get on top of it. What I will say is that for all Liverpool's, you know, triumphalism after this, and I've seen a lot of it already online, they were not good they were. Uh, for a they big were. chunk of this game. And, they can say, and I, I don't think that Jurgen Klopp approached this game that seriously. And he, I saw his post-match interview where he was pretty bemused about the whole thing, especially because I think he really is not a fan of Mikel Arteta. No. <laughs> I, and I think the feeling is mutual. Uh, but even so, they were very poor. And I think it's one thing if you have Diogo Jota starting centrally and scoring as your as your striker. And by the way, he rose up over Gabriel and Saliba and all the Arsenal big boys. And because he has a spring on him. A He's spring. a good header of the ball. Yeah, I, I think Jota is an amazing player. But I actually think that they're going to struggle without Salah. And I, I think they in a few weeks, they, they're going to have egg on their faces the way that they're, uh, you know, behaving after this game. But I say that as a bitter Arsenal fan. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Arsenal could be out of the picture by then. Arsenal could be battling Tottenham for fourth place if they don't sort out something. I mean, he's got to change this. Who's at left back? I don't know who's going to come in. Zinchenko's not fit. Uh, Yuri and Timber, as you say, would have been the starting left back. He's not fit. Tomiyasu is away at the Asian Cup. He's not going to be there. And, you know, Gabriel Martinelli needs to spend the next week in training. I understand that he can beat two men. He did it a couple times today, despite the nonsense I'm seeing from Liverpool fans about, you know, he got pocketed by an academy oh, kid. He was roasting people yeah, out roasting. there. He was roasting him. But then he gets to the into the box or to the edge of the box. He needs to, for the next week, just start picking people out. Top of the box, penalty spot, back post. No more of these, like, you know, balloon like crosses. Yeah, blind passes. Yeah, that Ben White has to go retrieve on the other <laughs> sideline. No more of this. He needs to pick somebody out. Otherwise, we're, it's going to continue this way. Because cutbacks just seem to be the only way that we're getting in behind people right now. Yeah, or a bit of magic from, from Sacco or Odegaard. And... To be honest, when uh, Nelson came off, I actually thought the weaker player between Saka and Nelson was Saka. Um, hmm. I, I didn't see enough from him to warrant staying on. Um, and there's always that concern of burnout with Saka. He he plays every single game, every single week, and he rarely gets taken off in games either. So at least with Martinelli or Jesus that, that start just as often, they, they get a break at least, you know, 70 minutes, 80 minutes, they come off. Um so yeah, 
Mate needs to improve, but I think the whole front line needs to improve their quality in the final third. Uh, and definitely that a big thing about that is going to be their mentality and attitude and uh, just the confidence because Habert had a couple of chances and he just saw him delaying before pulling the trigger. You know, he just didn't seem that confident in in just hitting that ball cleanly and, and getting the goal, which is surprising because he's, he's a player that's, I think, scored four in, in, in the last nine games for Arsenal. Um, but yeah, it, it just didn't see that much belief in the box from, from the Arsenal players. And you're right, third or fourth could become the new reality uh, for you guys. Uh, but yeah, just touching on Liverpool quickly, they're not a great side. Um, and I think with the with the missing pieces of Endo as well as Salah, because McAllister back in that midfield holding, I just don't think that that works. Yeah, Endo, another recipient of the match report blessing. He's now putting in some fine performances after we questioned his level. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm deeply worried at the moment, especially because it's not just, you know, scoring from the run of play. It's that Arsenal were, to begin the season, the best team from set pieces. Hmm. They did not concede, and they scored a fair number. And now the corner, the quality on the balls from corners is poor. The They're not a threat, and they're they're starting to leak. Uh, chances from these situations and the the smart things they were doing in terms of the delays on the kick like taking the kick and trying to get the defense off balance by the, by the timing and mm. some of the clever things they were doing I don't see it anymore it's just like poor balls into the front the front post to hit the yeah. first man yeah but all that's to say that I'll just be you know <laughs> depressed for a few days and then we'll be back <laughs> at it uh but it wasn't the only uh match of the weekend mm. i i thought coming in that the you know the second biggest would be the Tyneware derby and the yeah. first uh playing of the Tyneware derby between sunderland and newcastle in nearly eight years uh and in the end was it to you sort of a showcase of the gap in quality between the premier league and the championship uh yes and no um, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but I think uh, Newcastle played the way they normally play. Newcastle played a professional game, and I think Sunderland, unfortunately, tried to play to the occasion. So there's a lot more... I think they're playing with a lot more emotion than Newcastle, and you saw that in some of the, the challenges, um, you know, some of the overzealous play. Um, I just feel like Newcastle just stuck to playing Premiership standard football, I don't think they were particularly amazing. Um, Sunderland do have quality. You know, I don't think they've got Bellingham on the board enough during the game. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I think it was just them playing into the emotion and into the into the atmosphere and, and the derby a bit too much and not just trying to play their football. Uh, there were quite a few rash challenges there. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting inversion of what you think of, you know, of a Premier League team going somewhere, trying to play their nice stuff. And usually the lower league opposition gets physical, tries to make them uncomfortable. This was almost the opposite, where I saw Sunderland trying to play some, you know, Jack Clark looks a, a talented player on the, on the left wing, but he looked kind of dainty in possession. And they're, they're trying to take these, these little touches and play some intricate stuff. And Newcastle were, f you, the physical difference between, and obviously Newcastle are one of the most impressive teams in the, in the Premier League in terms of physicality. But they were so much bigger, so much stronger, faster, 
powerful runners. Like Joe Ellington, you know, he was running people over in that yeah. midfield. I think Joe Bellingham was the only one that really looked the part from that perspective in terms of coping with the physicality of the game. But yeah, he couldn't really get on the ball. They, they had a, you know, Ballard, the center back, you know, he's a big lad and, and was getting him, putting himself about. But Sunderland, other than that, you know, they were trying to play a game that they, I'm not sure that they're technically at the level to pull off against such a physical side. And of course, Newcastle also have quality. I mean, Bruno Gimmerish ran the game. And maybe that's a bit of the physicality aspect, too, where, you know, he's no slouch getting around and, and nobody in that Sunderland midfield was getting nearly close enough to him. And so he was just getting the time and space to pick people out, you know, show off his range of passing for the uh, locals at the Stadium of Light to not so much enjoy as suffer through. Uh, and I thought I thought definitely that overpower power from from Newcastle did help. Um, but. Yeah, Isak, Gordon. I think, I think there was a, he had a, a quote from um, from Gordon to one of the players that just kept on tugging his shirt. He was like, "Don't worry, I'll give you my shirt at the end of, at the end of the game." And it was just, you know, that that just shows that they were just a lot more level headed and just a lot more in the game and just playing the game for what it is and playing to their strengths. Um, yeah, I do agree that Sunderland probably didn't play to their strengths, and it wasn't the kind of game where you could go. Uh, man for man, you know, against a Newcastle side that most teams in the Premiership struggle physically against. Um, but yeah, getting drawn into some of those battles, I think Bola, like you said, was throwing, throwing his body about a bit, but, you know, almost giving away needless fouls and, you know, he ended up giving away the penalty near the end there as well. Um, so yeah, I think it wasn't a great, great, great game. It wasn't a great derby game, to be honest. Um, but it's a chance to play Premiership side. I think it does show that that lack of quality in the gap. Uh, but but New Sunderland aren't exactly flying. They're doing okay in the Championship, but they're not one of the you know top two or three teams in in, in the league. So it's uh, it was a result that I, I guess was expected. Yeah, and there was just some suicidal stuff. Like I am becoming this you know boomer about <laughs> playing out from the back, but. You see the keeper, he he plays it to Pierre Equa hmm. under serious pressure at the top of the box. Newcastle have three or four men around the box off, uh, off goal kicks every single time. Why are you trying to play out from the back against, you know, a top half premiership team? No. Pierre Equa looks like a, a promising young player, but why are you putting him in that position? And then, of course, he makes his own mistake. He's trying to do a double, you know, a double tap Iniesta style thing out of yeah. trouble in his own box and just gets tackled and it's a goal. Uh, but that kind of stuff, you know, it just, you, you can't let it happen when you know that you're going to be under serious pressure anyway. Mm. Find, find somebody with a long diagonal ball. Yeah. I mean, maybe Sunderland thought they couldn't win those physical battles. It's, it's not a crazy thought, I guess. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. It, it was poor man manage, uh, game management from them but they played the way I guess they were instructed to and I think Burnley suffered from that from the beginning of the premiership season you know the, the style of football was was working in the championship but then they, as soon as it came into the premiership against better opposition you know company found out very quickly that you know you can't compete at that level trying to play that kind of football um, and yeah I think Sunderland were probably a bit guilty of that as well yeah and of course as you mentioned Alexander Izak Always worth the price of admission. I'm a huge fan. 
of his. But you're right that, you know, as old as this rivalry is, I I, I did a little TikTok the other uh, last week about how these two towns have hated each other since the English Civil War back in the oh, wow. 1600s, actually. Um, it's like a complicated dispute over coal contracts from the king back then. Oh, uh, but it, it wasn't so heated a rivalry this no. time. Uh, <laughs> Newcastle wiped the floor of them. Uh, but, of course, there was more FA Cup. I think we should take an intermission, though, yeah. and talk a little transfer stuff because it is January, the silly season. And also players are on the move for their, their international teams as well. Uh, but the thing that jumped out to me on the transfer front was, of course, Jaden Sancho's uh, seemingly inevitable return to Dortmund. And then there's a bunch of stuff flying around this about yeah. United feel like they're ma- being made a fool of in this thing. I mean, mm. how have you been digesting this? It's always a circus for my club, unfortunately. You know, even a straightforward loan move for a player that the manager doesn't want and the player himself doesn't want to be there, you think that will get done and dusted, you know, in 48 hours. Um, but yeah, I'm hearing they weren't happy with, I think, either the loan fee or we want in input a obligation to buy that that uh, Dortmund aren't, aren't willing to accept. Um, there was a plane, a private plane, that was scheduled to fly off in the morning and... Sancho wasn't there. Then there was speculation from the fans that he turned up late again. So we don't really know what's going on. Um, but yeah, trust Man United to make something quite a simple transaction more difficult than it needs to be. Uh, I, I think the best thing for, for everyone involved is, is for him to leave. Um, I think going to a club that he's familiar with, there's less pressure, there's going to be a loss, less uh, media attention um, is going to be good for Sancho. Uh, and I think what the, the new owners or the new footballing owners are probably going to be thinking is let him go out there, play the remainder of the season and let his stock rise a little bit for a decent sell at the end of, end of the summer. Um, but yeah, I think the, the smart move for Dortmund will probably to try and take, uh, or maybe not obligation to buy, but at least an option to buy at a discounted rate. Um, but they don't have the spending power, I think, and they definitely don't have the money to pay his wages. So Sancho's got a big decision himself to think, you know, what do I do for you know, the next move of my career? Is it to try and earn the same kind of contract, which limits it to three or four clubs in the world? Or do I go back and just try and play football and, and revive my career, so to speak? You know, and that's crazy to say for a player that's only 23, 24. Yeah, I, it is a huge decision. I mean, it's it's easy for me to say, but I do feel like He's already earned quite a lot of money playing for Manchester United for a very short time. I think it's worth him taking a haircut to try and revive his career. You only get one career. Exactly. And if he does well at, at Dortmund or somewhere else, maybe there's a move to, you know, La Liga on the horizon, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, I mean, from your perspective, if he did well, first of all, it's a good move for him, I think. I, I don't know if he's cup tied for the Champions League. I don't know if he can play in the Champions League for Dortmund, but a good side and as you know as you say he knows knows the place i mean if he does well mm-hmm. would you as a man united fan consider taking him back or is this uh marriage beyond healing for me it's beyond healing um, i'm i think i'm a very principled person and irrespective of whether ten hogs at the club or not i just don't feel that sancho has shown enough respect um and enough or the right attitude that i'd want in a man united player you know um Regardless of all the other issues about lateness and not performing in training, we've seen countless managers since his 
his whole incident call out other players that have you know, particularly not performed well in training or in matches, but none of them have come out and put out a social media post. Like for me, that's just disrespecting not just the manager, but but Manchester United as a club. Uh, Ferguson always, you know, famously quoted that no player is bigger than the club. You know, you turn up for training, you turn up and, and you wear the badge on your sleeve. You know, I'm even hearing he's no longer turning up for training, at, you know, with the under-21s. So what exactly are you doing for the past couple of months of your career? Uh, I, I just don't think he has the right mentality. Um, and yeah, I think the only reason he would probably come back into this side is either under new management or just for commercial reasons and you can't find a buyer for him and he'll just be given another opportunity to sit on the bench and collect collect his wage it doesn't seem like it bothers him that much really but yeah it's a bit of a sorry go on no i was just gonna say all of this is just a fan's perspective no one knows the truth of what's going on he may have you know very valid reasons so i'll i'll put that disclaimer out there but it, it doesn't look good on the outset yeah it reminds me a lot of the mess it Ozil situation where maybe Arsenal were in the wrong in in you know aspects of the Ozil affair but in the end it doesn't really matter you know it's beyond salvaging and and it's best if if people move on and to be fair Ozil moved on and didn't do very much in Turkey when he finally did leave so maybe the proof is in the pudding there Uh, I do love the detail the speculation that he was late for the private plane (laughs) just to complete the story arc of his tardiness being an issue. (laughs) And then there was a, Uh, there was a a picture flying around social media of him on a plane um, with like a Magnum bottle, which is basically like a a drink that a lot of people in the UK drink, like for like pre-drinks before going out. So it was just like, mm. it, it just fitted the whole narrative and the whole profile and image he's built of himself as someone who just doesn't really care that much about football is more into the lifestyle and that kind of thing so if you haven't got the right mentality you shouldn't regard to United I don't think he's been a professional footballer I don't know if he's got that in him and he's had a lot of stick from different clubs even from England internationals about his performance and training and his tardiness like you said but Dortmund taking another chance in him and I do generally wish him the best because you know he's another young black black guy out there trying to make it I just hope he gets his his head screwed on because there's real talent mm-hmm. there. Yeah, the other uh, bizarro transfer of the week is Timo Werner uh, returning to the Premiership, it seems, with Tottenham. Uh, what is your take on that? I, I don't really understand it in terms of even when he returned to Leipzig, uh, his, he still has not returned to being a dependable goal scorer. It feels very Tottenham to me. It, it feels like the kind of signing that will land Tottenham in something of a decline until at least Youngman's son returns from the Asian Cup. Yeah, and we was linked with him as well for for a period at the beginning. As soon as the I was laughing there, about that. Yeah, one, yeah. I was like, <laughs> to go from workhorse now to Timo Werner, you, you couldn't make it up. Um, but I, I think to be fair, this probably just goes to show Tottenham's level is. I mean, it's it's the best they can do. Uh, I don't think he'll particularly do any worse than than Brian Gill. Um, I don't think he's that much worse of a player than Richarlison. Uh, I think it's just another body to to get in, um, and hopefully do you know chip in with a few goals over the last you know last half of the season. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a, a move similar to when United signed Reguilón from Tottenham. It's just just for cover. Once on his back, I don't see him getting much game time. 
because um, I'd put a couple players ahead of him outside of Son. I'd put Kulusevski and, and uh, Johnson as well ahead of him. So it's a Tottenham level move for a Tottenham level player. Um, I, he's not going to light up the league. But again, <laughs> on match report, we seem to have the worst bit of curse and luck. So he's probably going to score a double against us now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to have a hat trick in the North London Derby just to <laughs> shove it in my face. Um, and then the other one, now granted this was in the Daily Mail, yeah. but I saw uh, Jordan Henderson is apparently unhappy with his move to the Saudi League in Al-Etifak, which I can't say I'm shocked about. I'm sure it was a bit of a culture shock for him. Uh, they all, The Daily Mail also is claiming that he makes 700,000 pounds a week, which seems impossible to me. But he certainly, we, we can say he makes a lot of money. Uh, but what do you take away from this, assuming that he's, you know, he really would like to get a move back to the Premiership or at least back to Europe? Does money truly not buy happiness? Is that what we're learning? I don't know, man. It will buy my happiness because they're saying that <laughs> part of his reason for coming back is he hasn't found himself being able to settle. For £700,000 a week, I could probably settle anywhere in the world. So I, I don't understand that. Well, he's, he's, I've been hearing his performances haven't been that great either. And he actually may be pushed out um, by the club because they are investing a lot in big stars to raise the profile of the league. And he's just not cutting it, you know. So there's definitely a player there that could that could hack it still in the Premiership. Um, but I just think it's, it's definitely a move that was fueled by by money and the commercial reasons rather than obviously footballing reasons. Um, but he, he's still a good player. It's, I don't know where he would go. I don't think he, I don't think any of the top six will probably take him. They're probably looking at the bottom half of the table. Uh, but yeah, what would his wages be if he comes back to a Bournemouth or a Palace, for example? Not too sure. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit unfortunate for him. I, I think he had a very, very good career, but you know, I, I actually think Al Etifak have been really struggling. Doesn't help to have Steven Gerrard as your manager, I don't think. <laughs> Although people forget that, you know, he won the league with Rangers up in Scotland, but that feels a long way away long, now for Steven Gerrard. And the rest of his generation of, of, you know, incredible England talents, they should have stuck to, you know, being former professional players, I think. It's yeah. safe to say. Yeah, I think pundits should have been their route rather than management because, yeah, Rooney's not doing great. He's been sacked now. Um, Lampard, you know, he hasn't got a job. Gerard tried at Villa, didn't work. Um, and now he's kind of like just forgotten out there in um, out there in Saudi. So Gary Neville, you all know the stint that he had as management. So <laughs> it's, it's not for everyone. Um, and, and there's the... There's a good old uh, opinion that strikers don't make the best managers. Um, and it wasn't a shock that Rooney took a Birmingham side that I think was sixth or seventh at the time. And they're now, you know, in the bottom half, bottom third of the league. Yeah, it's a bit different from DC United in uh, the MLS, <laughs> it seems. Uh, but to return to the cup football yeah. of the weekend, uh, there was an interesting... Uh, little derby I had never actually heard of before between Shrewsbury Town and they hosted Wrexham, mm -hmm. uh, which is apparently an old, they, they're not too far apart. They're on opposite sides of the English-Welsh border. Mm. Um, and Wrexham went over there and sort of ground out a 1-0. I think there was a stage in the 
for most of the second half, I would say Wrexham had the better of it. Uh, but it's sort of interesting to see in real time. It's it's sort of two Hollywood guys playing FIFA manager mode almost. Yeah. Yeah. You have <laughs> Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, uh, you know, bought the team to, you know, worldwide acclaim. People are watching the, the TV show associated with it. Mm. Um, but they, you know, to their credit, they've already won promotion once, gotten themselves back into the football league. They're now third in League Two. And uh, I think two points off the top. Mm-hmm. What is your take on this as, you know, a, a nice British lad who's not used to Americans, <laughs> American <laughs> movie stars taking over teams? Is it a bit annoying to you? Do you feel like there's like a Ted Lasso effect here or is it kind of nice to see? Do you know what? It's surprisingly nice to see because I think a, a lot of fans thought there would be a lot more fanfare and a lot more like Hollywood and showmanship about the whole thing. And to be fair to them, they kind of just let the club run. And, you know, they've, you know, they don't even make too many appearances just so that the, the focus is not on them at games. Um, and yeah, they, I believe that they're letting the football people run things and, and they're kind of like supporting it and doing some of the commercial stuff around the club to help with revenue, which is what you'd want, you know, an owner to do really. Um, but yeah, like it's actually a nice story. Everyone loves an underdog story. Um, and yeah, because the focus is not too much on our side over here on, you know, the owners, it's more on Wrexham as a club and as, as you know, as a town that's actually getting this opportunity. It, yeah, I think a lot more of us would love to see, you know, random Bristol Rovers or someone just get that investment and see, you know, how they do. Everyone, when they play football manager, at some point will we'll pick a lower league team with dreams of, Getting to the Champions League, so I think it, it it's a story that warms a lot of football hearts. How's the yeah, how's the reception reminds, from you guys? I I mean I think Americans are loving the show for sure. I do think that there's an overlap, not not as much as I would fear with the with the Ted Lassoization of football over here in America, where I guess I'm just so bitter from you know being an Arsenal supporter for so long and and in this particular period that I. I don't always connect to like the heartwarming business of of Ted Lasso, but I think that they have a lot of respect for the club and its history and the town, as you Mm. say, in a really genuine way where they, they understand that they are visiting an existing culture Mm. and it's not about them really. They, they can do things that the community will love them for, but it is better as you say, for them to watch from the owner's box and, you know, try and keep below the, yeah. the overhang and not not have it be them mm-hmm. um i think it's a nice thing and it, it'd be fascinating it, it it does remind me of when i used to play fifa manager mode and you can do the financial takeover it's like a <laughs> yeah. card you play and suddenly you have 50 million to spend as like a league two team or something um i'm not sure that they have quite that much money they're putting into it but from what i from the uh broadcast here on espn it seems like they are paying significantly above market wages and they are pulling in you know Stephen Fletcher had a fine career in the Premier League Mm -hmm. um they they have some some decent uh talent that they're probably paying above the odds for for a League Two outfit yeah for sure for sure um and you know it's it's similar to the whole um the whole beauty of the FA Cup and, and just seeing like I said a smaller club and underdogs just rising I think everyone should just 
be happy to enjoy it really as long as it continues the way it is and as long as they are the focus is on on the club and, and the town and, and not so much on them as personalities um i think they'll, they'll, they'll keep getting more and more supporters uh, and i think it'd be amazing to get you know back-to-back promotions get into league one um and you know it, it's nice as well that they're getting some friendly games against the bigger clubs as well so the last preseason playing against united uh over in the states i just think you know all of these things just adds to adds to the appeal of the club and just just gives their fans a bit more um i mean if i was a Wrexham fan i'd be loving it right now yeah i mean third oldest club in the world great mascot with the dragons exactly i think it's a great thing but uh speaking of financial takeovers <laughs> we have manchester city Yep. who played the most foregone conclusion you'll ever see at the Etihad Stadium uh, this weekend against Huddersfield, 5-0. But it's almost a boring game to talk about, except, I think, for two attacking midfielders. Mm. Uh, the first being Phil Foden, another beneficiary of the match report <laughs> blessing when we question his end product. He's just banging in the goals now with, like, it's not just he's scoring goals; it, he's smashing the ball into yeah. the top corner. Yeah. Um. You know what? What has it been like seeing him? Sort of. He pe- people demanded that he replace Kevin De Bruyne, and now, and we'll get to this as Kevin De Bruyne returns, mm. he's doing Kevin De Bruyne things. It seems like. Yeah, he's doing it, and and he's playing with like a bit of a smile and a bit of a swagger in his play now. You know, um, and I feel like a lot of the players are trusting him as well. He is, you know popping up in all the right spaces and playing through the middle, which you know he's had said himself that that's where he sees his future. And he's scoring all types of goals. Um, and also he's creative play. He's got a great partnership with Alvarez, I think, who's not your typical, you know, target man, number number nine that's playing through the middle there. He's kind of like a, a half striker and, and he just interchanges quite well across the front three. Um, but seeing De Bruyne come back in the side as well, then playing alongside each other and getting assists straight away, man, it's it's going to be scary for the league. If, if both of these guys figure it out and they can play effectively together in the team, which I think, no, no doubt they can, um, Foden will probably go out wide uh, and then De Bruyne through the middle. It's, it's looking scary. Um, and then with Haaland to still come into the side, Man, ah, the next few months is going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the rest of the league. It's terrifying to look at. Um, <laughs> it it once again feels like a chance squandered by the Arsenal, mm. just as last season was, to not get a, a farther ahead. Now, of course, they're behind. Uh, and I don't think Liverpool are nearly far enough ahead no. when, with Kevin De Bruyne coming back and with, uh, with Erling Haaland. He's not even there. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. The guy scored 53 goals in 50 matches in the three competitions they won last season. It doesn't even matter that he's not there. I'm worried that, you know, we talked about this previously on the match report. You know, the the danger for the league is that we get Man City winning four times in a row. It's just not good for business. And I think that the the entire narrative of of the first half of the season could collapse in a month. You know, if Liverpool fail to adapt... Without Mo Salah, if Arsenal continue to be fucking poor as they have been for True. weeks, I mean, Man City could suddenly be six points ahead by mid-February or something. Yeah. It's a scary time. I, Kevin De Bruyne is, I think, the best player of the last decade in the Premier League. He hasn't even been playing this season and 
it's just crazy to me. I, I don't, I don't even see how, you know, I worry that it's a foregone conclusion again. Yeah, it is a big worry. And when the top goal scorer is still Haaland, who's been missing for how many weeks now, um, <laughs> and having his old buddy come back, because by the time Haaland's back, De Bruyne will be fully fit and would have had a decent run of games. It is scary. Um, and it, it does look like the league is not as great as we all thought it was. You know, we expected it to be a lot more competitive. It's turning into the Bundesliga, you know, with Bayern just running away with the league every season. Uh, I do think there's frailties in, in Liverpool that City can definitely capitalise on. Um, and they don't have any any players that's going to be missing um, due to the international breaks, uh, you know, in, in the Asia Cup or AFCON. So it's it's not looking good for the rest of us. Um, and I think that if City do go and win that fourth fourth league title, I think we, we're going to need Pep to, to move on. Because I think that's really going to be the only thing that's that's going to give us that chance. Because whenever they give everyone else in the league a chance, we never take it. Um, I say we, we've been nowhere near you know challenging for the title. But City still always have that that spending power. That means that they can they will always be there challenging. Yeah, uh, I I, we, I think we do to belabor the the manager mode metaphor. You know, Pep is sort of like when you get into season five or six or something back when I had the time to play that many. Yeah. And you've been managing your squad so much better than the computer, than the <laughs> the AI does, that you're just running away with titles. Yeah. That's what it is now. They're just so far ahead. They're a threat to win three trophies again. Yeah. Um, It, it is frightening for the league. I do think that they have the same holes, City, that we talked about earlier in the season. In that, I think Gundawan is a huge miss for them. Mm-hmm. I think Riyad Mahrez never got enough credit in a City shirt. He got his credit in a Leicester shirt. And, you know, people were like, yeah, he's quality. But I think having that other option there is massive. And I, I don't think that Mateus Nunes and some of the guys they brought in no. have really hit the heights. Yeah. But then there's Oscar Bob, who sounds like a Simpsons character, but is a quality, <laughs> quality player who I wish actually Norway were going to go to the Euros because... Yeah, Oscar Bob, uh, Martin Odegaard, and Holland together would be a lot of fun to watch. But all that's to say, I mean, even when you think that there's holes in the squad that they've failed to plug, these people come out of the woodwork. I don't know, you know, it it's overwhelming almost. Yeah, they've got a great production line, and that was one of the major things that they did with their new owners. We'll sort out the infrastructure internally, uh, the training ground, the facilities, the scouting department, the youth coaches. You know, they spent, I think, the first few years just poaching the best youngsters for all the top clubs in Europe. Um, and they're consistently producing players. So, you know, letting a Cole Palmer go for 40 million, but then you've got Oscar Bob and you've still got Rico Lewis in the squad coming through. There'll probably be another one or two by the end of this season as well that we'll probably hear of. Um, it's just, it's too easy for them now, you know. Um, so the frailties that they have defensively uh, with, you know, Gary Dole, a left back and, you know, Ake in a rotation with, with John Stones, Carl Walker, Diaz. Those are opportunities to, to you know, get goals and, and get results against City, but their experience is, is too vast, you know, and they're the worst team to be, you know, in front of. When they're chasing you at the top, there's no one better. So I think, you know, they'll, they'll finish over the finishing line and it'll probably be a similar scenario where by the end of the season, They'll end up running away with the league, you know, with you know five six points. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, scary times. But there is one more FA Cup third round fixture to be played, even though they're going to do the fourth round draw tomorrow, I believe. Yeah. But also tomorrow, uh, Manchester United make the short trip to Wigan. I believe it's like 25 miles, right? Yeah. Uh, To Wigan Athletic, you know, sort of a forgotten stalwart of the Premier League. I mean, when I came up as a a Premier League fan beginning in 2007 or 2006, Wigan were a, a fixture of the league, but now they're down in League One. They've sort of disappeared. I think I've heard that Wigan is more of a rugby town anyway. But um, you know, as a United fan, are you a, do you harbor any fears in this match, or do you think two leagues below you'll take care of business? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not that worried. Um, mainly because I feel like Ten Hag is still trying to sort out and implement a style of play at United. So it's not going to be a game that I feel he'll rest too many players. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that quite a few of our um, absent players are back to full training. So Casemiro, Mount and Martinez are back in full training. So it may be an opportunity for one or two of them to get, get some minutes. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think there'll be too many wholesale changes. And that's usually when you know the Premier League team slip up against the, 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 the lower leagues. Uh, I still feel like it will be maybe a change in goal perhaps. Um, and given um, Alte there an opportunity, um, but yeah, United are, are still a club that's lacking in in in, uh, in confidence. So you know, a three nil you know away win, even though it's against Wigan, will probably do us a lot of good. Um, and and I think that it'll just it just it needs to be a routine professional performance. And you know, I won't get too excited with the result. But yeah, for me, the the performance is more important. You know, I'll take that over. Yeah, and hopefully again for fans, it's just to see a few of the youngsters playing. But uh, I'm worried that with our performance recently, we probably won't blood any of our youngsters because the first team players are struggling themselves. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. We got that, and then next weekend, I think the Premier League partially resumes. There's a few matches. Mm-hmm. Some people have a bit of a winter break. I know Jurgen. Jurgen Klopp was crowing about that after after the match today <laughs> that they get some time off. We know how he feels about the fixture schedules. Yeah, uh, but we'll be back next week to talk about the matches there are, and hopefully by then Arsenal will have signed Ivan Tony. <laughs> yeah, we can dream. We can definitely dream. <laughs> <laughs>